Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Well, good morning again. This is hour two of Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is the Faith Radio Network. Thank you so much for including me in your day today. For those of you who live in Minnesota, and this actually, you know, this is illustrative of the fact that not only do elections have consequences, but that the abortion fight is um, now much more taking place at a state level and in state legislatures Um, And less and less, obviously, at a national level after the reversal of Roe v. Wade and the Dobbs decision by the Supreme Court last year. And so this is in relationship to the state of Minnesota and um, an act that passed the Minnesota Senate 34 to 33 on Saturday. So it's called the Productive, no, sorry, the Protect Reproductive Options Pro, the PRO Act. And the PRO Act um allows for abortion for any reason in the state of Minnesota up to the moment of birth so the protect reproductive options act the pro act passed the Minnesota Senate 34 to 33 on Saturday republicans had unsuccessfully sought to amend it 35 times every single one of those amendments was defeated by the now democratic majority um in the Minnesota Senate. Um, The bill states that, quote, every individual has a fundamental right to make autonomous decisions about the individual's own reproductive health, end quote. Opponents sought to raise the alarm that the bill was establishing a right to abortion up to the moment of birth, um, but Republican members were um, unable to pass any amendments to the bill um, offered as guardrails that would have restrict abortion, at least in the third trimester. But again, the newly elected Democratic majority blocked those amendments and passed the measure with a 34 to 33 vote. That's a pretty grievous day um, for Minnesota. Do you remember the Hobby Lobby case a number of years ago? Well, the Biden administration has proposed a rule that would aim to make it easier for people to access contraceptives, even if their insurer or their employer opted not to cover birth control for religious or moral reasons. So um, this is something that we will expect to see more news about in the coming days and weeks. But this um, proposed rule would establish a, quote, independent pathway for people to obtain contraception um, through a participating provider at no cost, even if their employer or their health plan elects not to cover such services due to religious um, or moral reasons. So that's an accommodation that the government is seeking to make over and against um, employer insurance. So, and then let me ask this question. Can a man become pregnant? Now, this seems to have an obvious answer, correct? This seems to have an obvious answer. 
The answer is still no. A man cannot become pregnant. However, a number of years ago, um, the first baby in the world was delivered from a transplanted uterus. And now transgender people are asking, hey, why can't we have that too? So uterine transplants, medically designed to allow a woman who, let's say, is born without a uterus to be able to carry a baby. But now men who identify as women are saying, hey, why can't the same be done for us? You know, I am I identify as a woman and I was born without a uterus and therefore I should get a uterus so I can have a baby. Our next guest, Dr. Jeff Barrows, is quoted in a piece at World Magazine um, that is up right now, the link to which will be in the show notes today. Jeff says, um, remember, Jeff's an OBGYN. He's also the senior vice president of bioethics and public policy for the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Um, and he says in this, look, you know, they don't they don't save a life. These these transplants, these uterine transplants are not designed to save a life like a heart or a kidney transplant, nor are they necessary to create a life. The procedure is risky. It's expensive. It uses medical resources that serve no life saving purpose. Um, a man who wanted to receive a uterine transplant would have to undergo at least three surgeries, take potent anti-rejection drugs and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. Scientists still know little about the long-term effect on the babies born this way and nothing about uh, babies who might be gestated inside of a man. We're going to, um, what do you think about that? If we have the technology, should we do it? I mean, if we can, should we? Let's remind ourselves of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians ten twenty-six. Just because you have the right to do it uh, doesn't mean it's beneficial. Just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. We're going to talk with Jeff Barrows next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. Doctor, my eyes have seen the years and the slow parade of fears without crying. Dr. Jeff Barrows is back from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Good morning, good sir. Good morning, Carmen. I share your alarm over this recent vote in Minnesota. I spent four years going to college up there, and I'm deeply disappointed along with you about this. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of a lot of grief being communicated over our text line this morning about that as well. Um, I mean, you know, elections have consequences. Um, and yes. And sometimes those consequences are um, horrific, and this would be um, this would be one of them. Talk with us um, about uh, Demar Hamlin. He is uh, he is. I mean, you know, he's not just miraculously better. He's also better because he got really great medical care. That's exactly right. I mean, it was just a little over four weeks ago that uh, this Buffalo Bills player, Demar Hamlin, suffered a cardiac arrest on the field after a routine tackle. And uh, fortunately, as you mentioned, there were trained medical personnel right there on the field and started CPR right away. And I think investigations and testing since that time have shown us that uh, DeMar suffered from what is known as commotio cordis, which really translated means agitation of the heart. It's a very rare event, even in sports. It only happens about 20 times a year. And it happens when some object or something strikes the chest in just exactly the right way. 
Um, and it throws the heart into a, a deadly rhythm known as V-fib. And so I think a lot of people like myself initially were wondering, why doesn't this happen more often? Because obviously football is just a lot of, a lot of tackling, a lot of strikes on the chest wall, but a lot of things have to be in place for it to occur. And the strike has to be exactly at the right spot on the chest wall, which is just to the left of that bone in the center of our chest. It's uh, called the sternum. The, st- the strike has to hit exactly 90 degrees uh, to the chest wall. It can't be at an angle. It has to be of a certain strength. And this it has happened in baseball, and they've calculated that the baseball, if it's going to do this, needs to be traveling at about 40 to 50 miles an hour. And the most critical thing, though, and what makes it most rare, is the strike has to occur in a very narrow window in the cardiac electrical cycle. So a person that has, for instance, a pulse or a heartbeat of 60 beats per minute, that electrical cycle will last uh, one second or a thousand milliseconds. And that narrow window is only about 30 of those thousand milliseconds in the hour. And so all of these things came together, unfortunately, for DeMar. And uh, he had the right hit, the right position, the right timing in the cycle. But as you said, he was fortunate to have the medical personnel present that could uh, start up CPR because overall survival otherwise for this is only about 60%. So... I think it's just been great to see him uh, since this time and give thanks to God. And it's uh, I, I've been very impressed that he seems to be quite a special young man. Yeah, thank you so much for, um, you know, sort of bringing us the rest of the story on that. We uh, we talked about it in a little bit of a speculative way uh, immediately after it happened. And it's um, it's wonderful to be able to understand how the body works and the fact that we know this much about the human heart. Um, and about such a rare event, um, how it happens and what has to be all aligned to make it happen. You know, it's just, I mean, as a non-scientific, non-medical person, Jeff, um, I just stand in awe. I continue to stand in awe at sort of where we are um, in terms of medical technology and the ability to um, to save people. And yet I also recognize that um, that can lead us to imagine that we could, you know, everyone could be saved, that, you know, that any threat to our physical life um, could be put off and be put off uh, forever. And and that's just not true. So in the midst of all of this, we also live with the sobriety um, that the human, that human life is very fragile. We never know our time. And I think uh, a biblical way of looking at that is to... Uh, um, what I try and do every day is to each morning give our our day to the Lord, recognizing that we don't know what tomorrow brings or whether we'll be around tomorrow. And uh, fortunately, Damar uh, had a close call, but is around, and I hope he continues to live his life in a way that brings glory to God. Amen. Amen. Um, hey, we're gonna um, we're gonna talk about having an activity snack an activity snack in just a moment. Our good doctor and friend Jeff Barrows is going to continue to talk with us. Um, You can find lots of resources at CMDA. That's the Christian Medical and Dental Association. If you are 
a person who works in the medical or dental fields and you're not already plugged in to CMDA, we want to um, encourage you to check it out. We're going to continue our conversation here in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Maybe you're thinking in this new year you'd like to change the world. Well, you can start by changing the world for one child. We're partnering with one child again, and you can sponsor a child now at MyFaithRadio.com. What happens when you sponsor a child through one child? Well, you're going to be linked to a boy or a girl who lives in a country other than your own, uh, and you're going to help supply for their tangible needs. Yes, they're going to receive the gospel of Jesus, but they're also going to receive educational assistance, supplemental food, clothing, healthcare services, and opportunities for love, friendship, and encouragement. The cost is just $39 a month, and you can sponsor a child right now at MyFaithRadio.com. So if you want to change the world this year, why don't you start by changing the world for one child? Sponsor a child today at MyFaithRadio.com. You make me want to move like no one's watching. I know you'll get me through. Gonna keep on walking. Continuing our conversation with Jeff Barrows. Um, he serves with the... Christian Medical and Dental Association. Hey, Jeff, let's talk about snacks. Let's talk about two kinds of snacks. One kind of snack you'd prefer we avoid. That'd be junk food. Um, Tell us what junk food's doing to our brains. And then one snack you'd like for us to adopt. Well, that's exactly right. And uh, it's interesting. I'll start with the junk food or high-fat diet. And all of us, I'm sure, have our favorite high-fat food that we love to indulge in. And uh, this study was fascinating to me in that uh, what they did is they looked at the potential other impacts that a high-fat diet would have on the control of our appetite center as well as the way our digestive system works. And what they found is that someone who has a high-fat diet for at least 10 to 14 days, uh, they essentially lose control over their appetite. The normal nervous system... uh, nerves that come into play when when we eat too much and, and it turns down our appetite, those are turned off after 10 to 14 days of a high-fat diet. Plus, it also impacts the way we d- digest that food and, in, in fact, slowing down our j- digestive system, allowing us to absorb more of the calories. So the takeaway from that is that, first of all, High-fat foods contain a high concentration of calories, and uh, not just that, but when we indulge in them for a long period of time, it will change the way we have our appetite controlled and digest those foods. So that's something to keep in mind. Now, the other side of the coin is, as you mentioned, an activity snack. And I I love that term because it, it helps us to think about physical activity rather than this concentrated time during the day where we have to exercise for 30 or 40 minutes or whatever, these researchers uh, took a small group uh, of uh, middle to older age adults that had some high risk factors, for instance, type 2 diabetes and high blood pressure, and they put them through several different regimens of really uh, just short-term exercise. For instance, a one-minute break or a five-minute break after 30 minutes of sitting down or a one or five minute break after 60 minutes of sitting down. And during that time, they took their blood sugar levels and measured their blood pressure. And what they found was is that even a five minute break after 30 minutes will lower 
blood sugar, which I found quite fascinating. And just uh, as little as one minute break every hour, uh, as you get up and walk around, will help lower your blood pressure. So I think, again, the takeaway message from this is, especially if you're in a sedentary sedentary job and you're not getting up and moving, just a short little break, this activity snack, one or five minutes every hour uh, or every 30 minutes will really have a positive impact on your health. You don't have to be engaged in long-term exercise uh, for 45 minutes in the middle of the day. Fascinating. All right. Um, hey, can we, uh, somebody on the text line asking, if I if my appetite, uh, natural appetite controls have been turned off in 10 to 14 days of a high fat diet, how long does it take to turn them back on? <laughs> In this particular study, they they didn't look at after that length of time, but what they have found is if it's only for two to three days, within about five days, it's turned back on again. So I would suggest that probably after this prolonged diet, it would take it probably a good 10 to 14 days again. So roughly the time that you're on the high fat diet, it will take for that those effects to go off. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Uh, we've got news that um, there's a new booster that they're um, saying is going to work against the latest COVID strain. But I am um, personally more interested in this evidence that that device that my nail tech is using to harden the gel polish on my nails might actually be damaging my DNA and potentially causing skin cancer. I think this is like the uh, the important news of the day for those of us that have gel nails. Well, I'm not in that group. I just want to make that clear. But I will say that my <laughs> wife and two daughters do love to get uh, the pedicures together. And recently they they got a gel pedicure. But uh, those of you that get them will know that they typically will use a, a little UV light to um, to cure the gel on the on the nail itself. And of course, UV radiation we know does cause skin cancer, especially the squamous cell cancer, which is the second most common. So this particular study looked at uh, skin cells in the laboratory, exposed them to the same degree of UV light for about 20 minutes, and they found that about a quarter to a third of the cells were killed by the light, and most of those that lived through that light uh, exposure, did have some damage to the cells, including DNA damage. So it it was thought that this would definitely raise the risk of skin cancer. So my advice to those that are getting these regular pedicures is that, first of all, think about an alternative to gel, gel nails. Uh, I guess there are wraps that are available online. But even if you decide to continue to get those nails, you want to use a broad-spectrum sunblock on the skin surrounding the nail, especially something that contains zinc and titanium. Or you could use UV protective gloves that have the ends of the fingers cut out uh, in that way. And finally, to find a nail salon that uses the lowest intensity of UV light possible. So uh, I would say, too, that those of, of your listeners that have been getting these uh, types of, of nail manicures done, that if if they've been doing it for a long period of time, they should probably consider seeing their dermatologist to have their skin around the nails checked for pre-cancer lesions that can be taken care of early on before it develops into cancer. So helpful. So helpful. Jeff, as always, thank you um, so much for joining us today. 
Um, and thank you for the contribution that you made um, to this World Magazine piece that I referred to earlier about uterine transplants. I'm going to include the link to that article as well in the show notes for today. Um, so again, you can connect with Jeff and everything happening at the Christian Medical and Dental Association at cmda.org. Jeff, as always, um, thank you so much. My pleasure, Carmen. Great to be with you. Thank you. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right. Thank you again for all of your interaction on the text line this morning. You can always text me during the show, 877-933-2484. A couple of things here. The Biden administration is planning to end the coronavirus public health emergency in May. So, um, you know, interesting note here in the headline news today. Um, That will probably mean a limit uh, in terms of access to free tests and free treatments. Um, So just be mindful of that as well. Interesting questions that you guys are asking on the text line about other ways you're using UV light, and you're asking me about those. So um, here's a question from April. What about the popular um, light for gum and mouth care, whitening, um, those kinds of things? So... um, you know, uh, because I <clears throat> have access to the Googler, I can tell you this, uh, UV light that is used for teeth whitening, it's combined with chemicals, none of which have been available long enough to really know long-term effects. I'm reading here from uh, a couple of different medical articles online about UV teeth whitening. Um, let's see. Uh, another one says, uh, don't forget that the care of your teeth is intimately connected to your heart And the tissue in your mouth is highly susceptible to UV radiation. And I would add this, um, God put it inside your mouth, which means he didn't design it to be exposed to the only natural UV uh, out there, which is the sun, right? So God didn't design the interior of your mouth to be exposed to UV radiation. It's literally internal. So it lacks any sort of natural protection. And I don't know how you're going to put sunscreen on it. I just don't know how you're going to do that. Um, I'm not a doctor, um, but if UV light isn't good for my hands when I'm getting a gel manicure, manicure then um, putting a UV light in your mouth is probably a, not a good idea for you either. That'll be, that'll be my, in my humble opinion, assume no medical knowledge whatsoever related to that, just maybe some uncommonly good sense. That's what I'll hope for. Um, okay, so what is the Christian answer to the identity angst of our culture? I mean, we talk about um, identity politics, we, po- we talk about the identity confusion, the distortions of identity, people having utterly disintegrated identities. What's the Christian answer to all of that? We're going to talk with Brian Rosner about his new book, How to Find Yourself and Why Looking Inward is Not the Answer. And yes, I'm going to go ahead and tell you in advance, we've got copies to give away. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484 if you're interested in a Christian answer to the identity angst of our culture today. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Who am I that the eyes that see my sin 
would look on me with love and watch me rise again. People are often looking for themselves in all the wrong places. We're going to talk with Dr. Brian Rosner today about how to find yourself and why looking inward is not the answer. Brian, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Yeah, thanks so much, Carmen. Great to be with you. So as a reminder to everyone, um, tell folks where you're teaching and maybe what you're passionate to teach about. Yeah, so I teach at Ridley College in Melbourne in Australia. Uh, in the past, I've taught in Scotland and in other parts of Australia. So I'm, I'm passionate about teaching about the Bible uh, in short, uh, New Testament in particular. But I'm also interested in contemporary uh, questions of Christian living. So one of my favorite verses is how does the grace of God teach us to live? That's really my lifetime passion. Hmm. Well, in the spirit of seeking to discern um, you know, how the Spirit of God uh, leads us to live and, and how the Bible informs all of that, your latest book is the one we're going to look at today. Dr. Rosner is the, the author of a dozen books, but today we're going to look at his brand new book, How to Find Yourself. Um, talk about the problem that you're addressing here in this book. Yeah, so it's got to do with the question of personal identity. Um, In our day, it's become uh, a central question for most people, especially young people. Uh, What defines me? Who am I? And the places people look now uh, to find themselves, it's pretty much exclusively inward. So personal identity in our day is a do-it-yourself project. All forms of external authority are rejected. Everyone's quest for self-expression should be celebrated. It's kind of a you-do-you moment, uh, living authentically, being true to yourself. They're the kind of things we hear all the time. So, yeah, personal identity is the big one I'm thinking about in this book. And it's a personal journey as well, because back in the 90s, I had a bit of a crisis of identity myself. And I went back to the Bible and uh, discovered some really helpful and true things about how to find yourself and what defines us. Yeah, it's really helpful. Um, So for those of you who remember the conversations that we've had with Dr. Carl Truman um, from Grove City College about the rise and triumph of the modern self and the conversations about really just what it is even like to try to live as a person um, who is integrated in in a culture where there is so much disintegration, even at the personal level, um, this conversation about how to find yourself, why looking inward is not the answer. Um, if you're looking for something very practical and personal in terms of the same kinds of things that Dr. Truman talks about, this might be the book you want. And so we are giving away copies today. Remember, you text the word book to 877-933-2484. Brian, take us into like the way people are going about looking for themselves, because obviously the looking inward, um, the looking inward question is, as you say in the subhead here, not the not the right answer to the question, but it is the place people in our culture often look first. Yes, I think uh, the idea of it, uh, of personal identity being a do-it-yourself project is at the heart of the movement. Uh, Interestingly, Taylor Swift got an honorary doctorate from New York University uh, earlier this year, and in her acceptance speech, she said this. I think it's really revealing. She said, we're so many things all the time, and I know it can be overwhelming figuring out who to be. I have some good news. It's totally up to you. I also have some terrifying news. It's totally up to you. So people look inward and they find something that they think is really central to their essence as an individual. Maybe it's their ethnicity or their their, uh, their job. Uh, sometimes it's their gender. It can be all sorts of things. 
And the problem is, as Taylor Swift herself says, putting so much pressure on yourself can be overwhelming. It's actually not true to human nature either, because really human beings are social beings. We know ourselves by being known by people other than ourselves, by our best friends, by our partners, by our parents. And we also live in stories, so stories that are shared stories, stories that give meaning to our lives, uh, give direction, help us to understand where we're heading, those those kind of things. So I think the, the whole business of what's called expressive individualism, looking inward to find yourself, has some benefits. It um, Obviously, self-reflection is a good thing. Living authentically is a good thing. But in the, in the end, it, it's a faulty strategy for forming a self because it's not true to human nature. So when we talk about the places that um, that we look to help us understand ourselves and help us and then describe ourselves and engage with others, I mean, there is this looking inward that is a part of it. There is, um, as you then describe, the sort of looking backward and forward and around us, social relationships, personal history. But then there is this looking up, right? I, I got I to gotta figure out who I am in relationship to God. The narrative identity portion of the book I particularly loved um, because we do we do live in the context of stories. And so I'm wondering if when we come back from a very brief break, Brian, you could talk with us a little bit about sort of the, the way we find our story in the life story of Jesus. Chapter 11, I just, I just kind of love. So would you do that for us? Sounds great. Yeah, we're talking with Dr. Brian Rosner. We're talking about his brand new book, how to find yourself and why looking inward is not the answer. It is a part of the answer, by the way, but it's not the whole answer. There's going to be more when we come back from a very brief break. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do every morning on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. I don't want you to miss any of it. So check out the free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. One of the things I would like for you to consider is becoming a Faith Radio ambassador. We talk about walking our faith out into the world that God so loves and doing so in ways that honor Jesus. Well, that's because we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. You can become a Faith Radio ambassador today and help us get the word out to others about this and other programs on the Faith Radio Network. Uh, We will supply everything that you need to share with others, and you can sign up to be a Faith Radio ambassador at MyFaithRadio.com. Picking up in the conversation where we left off with Dr. Brian Rosner, just a reminder, we're giving away copies today of How to Find Yourself. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter that drawing. All right, Brian, help us um, find ourselves in the life story of Jesus Christ. What's the connection there? Yeah, well, the first thing to say is that the idea of looking up to find yourself is, um, again, it's endemic to human nature. I think all of us look up in one form or another, and the Bible puts the options as you either look up to the true and living God, or you put something else in that place, be it your work or your family, Um, or all sorts of other things. And in the end, that can actually constitute idolatry. Um, When we think of our life stories, we we often think of the defining moments that make us who we are today. And very often we live in these shared stories, whether they're about our nations, our families, our ethnicities. But the Bible puts a different spin on that. 
And it gives us a story which gives meaning to all these other lesser stories. And as you said, Carmen, it's the story of Jesus Christ. So it's an odd idea in the Bible, but it's so central to who we are as Christians. It's this idea that when Jesus died, he didn't just die in our place. We died with him. As Colossians 3 puts it, you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life story, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. So the defining moment of my life took place 2,000 years ago when I died with Christ. And basically that set the course of my life in the same pattern as the the story of Jesus Christ. So I died to self-interest and in the... uh, In the rest of my life, I'm to live in the same self-sacrificial way and serving way that Jesus did. And most significantly, my identity, my true identity as a child of God will be revealed when Jesus returns. So Christians look forward not just to the return of Jesus to show the world who he really is, but to show the world who we really are. Now, it's not just an automatic thing. So the life story of Jesus is in a real sense our life story, but uh, we're to put on that story. So further on in Colossians, it says, put on the new person, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're to live in ways that are consistent with that story. It makes all the difference. I've had people over the years tell me that uh, they felt that their lives were defined by terrible things that happened to them in the past or by great achievements they'd had in their own lives. But it's just such a wonderfully freeing thing, a joyful thing to realize that our lives are part of a much bigger story. We're not the star in our own show, the director and the uh, the screenwriter. We're, we're, we have a bit part in God's plan for the redemption of the world. And we live, in a sense, a reflection of the life story of Jesus. Well, and we do that sometimes um, accurately, and sometimes we do it with with terrible, terrible inaccuracy. I think one of the things I appreciate about what you're encouraging us to do is to really get into and understand who Jesus is, his character and his ways, in order that, as I like to say, we could represent him um, in a way that would actually honor him, where he would, you know, recognize his own reflection, uh, you know, when he sees us um, seeking to walk our faith out into the world that he so loves. Um how important is that? How, how important is being an accurate reflection um, of who Jesus really is to, you know, to the deeply confused and dark world we live in today? Oh, I think it's of fundamental importance, isn't it? So uh, if you want to continue the idea of life stories, all of us have the challenge of not going off script or uh, losing the plot. So um, th- there are a lot of things to keep us within that story. So baptism, for example, is Mm. a a picture of us entering into that story where we die die with Christ and rise with him to new life. And the forgiveness is always there for us too, of course, Carmen. It's very important to remember that, uh, that uh, this new identity which God gives us as his child is, um, it's a gift and it's not something we earn. Uh, And when we mess up, when we go off script, if you like, Uh, there's always the opportunity to return in repentance and faith. The other side of our identities, which I cover in the book, is this idea of being known intimately and personally by God. I I find that really comforting personally. Uh, Back in the 90s, when I went off the rails, if you like, um, I didn't know who I was. It was a great comfort to me 
to realize that God knows me intimately and personally. I think of a verse like Nahum 1 verse 8 where it says, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. So personal identity is really fundamental to all aspects of our lives. It helps us to live with life's difficulties. It helps us to know how to live. And uh, the life story of Jesus and being known personally by God is such a wonderful resource for both those things. Yeah, he knows you full well. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. He knit you together. He knows the number of hairs on your heads. Um, he knows your thoughts. I, I think that when we consider all of that, there there is either, the, either a fear response because, like, you know, God sees me, right? Or there is this deep relief that God sees me and that I'm known. And then there's this promise that one day I am going to know fully as I am already fully known. Like, I think for the believer, that is the greatest of of joyful promises about, of, uh, about the future. Um, I mean, I think that heaven is going to be great for a lot of reasons, but I think that the the reality of knowing God as fully as God knows me is beyond my wildest imagining. And I, and I, I so anticipate it. Yeah, that, that's exactly right, isn't it? And uh, it does give us great comfort and, uh, and joy in our lives. Um, I think of what Jesus said too. He said this in all four gospels. He, he said, whoever finds themselves will lose themselves, but whoever loses themselves for my sake will find themselves. I just love that, the idea that I have to create myself, I have to find myself, uh, I have a do-it-yourself identity is not the way to go. Um, Tim Keller's got a wonderful little book called uh, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And that's that great paradox in the Christian life, isn't it? Uh, where where we lose ourselves in the service of others and, and by doing exactly that, we find ourselves a secure and stable identity as a child of God. We just uh, had an opportunity recently to talk with Tim here on the show about his new book um, uh, on forgiveness. And um, what a delight, right? What a delight to um, to be living in the generation um, with a person such as Tim who just continues to give himself away in such profound ways. Uh, so the new you, this losing yourself and finding yourself, is part four of the book. And so I'm so glad that you you brought us there. Um, because in this losing, I find, um, and in the finding Christ, I am just more interested in losing myself, right? There's, there is this dual component to, to that. Um, talk about the new, because I think when, when people consider what, what Paul means, um, that everything becomes new, first of all, it's hard for people to imagine who haven't experienced it, and then people who have experienced a newness in Christ are wondering if some parts of themselves could be renewed again. Yes, I think um, when we think about our identities and life stories, about the particularities of our lives, it's lots of dimensions, aren't there? I'm a, I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm a friend, I'm a worker. And being a child of God, being known intimately and personally by him, living the life story of Jesus doesn't obliterate those things, but it puts them all in a different light. It ends up affecting the way I am, the way I behave, the way I conduct myself, ideally at least, as a father, as a son, as a worker, as a spouse. So I think you're right. The the, the newness, I mean, Paul says, doesn't he, that uh, when we're in Christ, we're a new creation. And we, we live in a tension, of course, because our lives are nonetheless 
uh, disordered at times and we end up uh, living in ways that are not consistent with the new identity. But there's always the, uh, the great assurance that our identity is hidden with Christ in God. It's secure even when we mess up and we can come back to him in repentance and faith. There are so many aspects of the Christian life which reinforce our identity. I don't think people realize this, but lots of things we do at church are, are designed to remind us who we are in Christ. Uh, when we get baptized, as I mentioned, when we take the Lord's Supper, communion, um, when, we, when we sing, we, we sing about a new world to which we belong. Uh, we belong to a different place. Uh, when we read the Bible, we not only learn about God, but we learn about ourselves. The Bible's like a mirror. And ultimately, the great challenge in life is to live lives consistent with the gospel of the Lord Jesus, um, carrying around, as Paul says quite uh, um, strikingly, around in our bodies the death of Jesus and living in the light of his resurrection. They're, they're the big poles of our lives, and in between, everything takes on a new shade because of them. If you're wondering um, how to find yourself and you want to do so in a way that is utterly faithful to the way Scripture describes who we are and who God is calling us to be, uh, I commend to you Brian Rosner's brand new book, How to Find Yourself, Why Looking Inward is Not the Answer. We're giving away copies today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Carmen. It's been a pleasure. Likewise, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. Just a reminder that we're giving away copies of Brian Rosner's book, How to Find Yourself. If you're interested in entering that drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. I appreciated um, Brian's mention there of um, Tim Keller's book. It's like 10 years old now, uh, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. Um, Tim calls that the path to true Christian joy. And in that book, um, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, one of the things that um, Tim emphasizes is how badly we misunderstand ourselves as Christians because we live in a culture that is so consumed with the self. And so, you know, not hard for us uh, 10 years on to talk about selfie culture, um, hard for us to talk about self-forgetfulness. And when Tim's talking about self-forgetfulness, um, he's not talking about being self-loathing or, um, you know, de- denying at some level that I matter, but, but denying that I am the most important thing that matters. And so one of the questions that he asks is, it goes something like this, you know, just in terms of like a self-check here, do you connect every experience or every conversation or every event with you, with you? Do you think about your life, your time, your job, your marriage, your family, your health, your vacation, your home, I'm probably, I mean, you know, making up this list as I go. <clears throat> but those are the kinds of questions that Tim provokes us to ask. Am I actually thinking about all of those realities as if they are mine? Or have I really been, as Paul says, crucified with Christ? 
do I recognize it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, not as this autonomous self seeking to self-promote and self-congratulate and self-advance, but I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And now I am a living representation, representation of Christ. His body is my, or my body is his. My words are his. My thoughts are his. My marriage is his. My children are his. My home is his. My time is his. My work is, my work is, you know, is his. It all belongs to Christ. So um, maybe that would be a way to sort of give ourselves a, a self-exam today. Um, am I self-forgetful in, in the most positive way of understanding that? Like, thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.